There's so much noise and chaos in our lives today. We're bombarded with mixed messages, quick fixes and distorted realities. They're all wonderful stories. Some are true, many are not. Hi, I'm David Kenny, and this is Sanity Check. In 25 years of business, I know that hiring people Launching products, allocating capital, selling and managing yourself is no mean feat. We don't tell you what to do. Instead, we put you in front of the right people, ask them the right questions so that you can find the answers you need. We are here for you. It's time to Sanity Check. Welcome. It's uh, David Kenny again and it's Sanity Check. So I wanted to introduce you today to someone who is extremely, extremely knowledgeable in the sales industry, if you like, or the sales business of selling. And obviously, uh, there's such a different range of sales people out there and product and market and channels, etc. But I've got an absolute rock star. His name is Moore Asseline. Uh, and uh, as you know, in Sanity Check, what we do is we start with a fast five to give you a little bit of a hit and a taste of what we're, who, we're, who we're meeting. So, more. Uh, you were born in Israel, uh, but you now live in Miami, Florida, and you've always been a salesperson, although I think there is a little bit of humility in there as well, which we might get to. You're married, and I'm in very good company, sir. You also have a great podcast that I've listened to, and I want everyone to check that out. Uh, I appreciate it's it. Talks. It's, it. It is ser- seriously great content. So, welcome, more to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm in my... I'm. No one, I don't know anyone else that can see this this time of year, but I'm sitting in the balcony in Miami in the winter. <laughs> it's a bit like Sydney. You never get too cold. And you yeah. never get, it's, not, it's never too hot when you're next to the beach. That's exactly it. <laughs> totally right. So, uh, more look, your, uh, your experience is just um, at the end of this show, I'm, people, you're going to blow people away. So, um, can we talk a little bit about your experience? And, and obviously, sales is a very broad, uh, in its fundamental form, it's a very broad term, but... There's enterprise sales, there's uh, SME, there's SaaS, there's all different types of selling. Uh, can we talk? Can you talk to us a little bit about your expertise? What, which zone do you own? Sure. The lane, the lane that I stick to is SMB SaaS sales. So, if for anyone that doesn't know what SaaS is, software as a service, software as a subscription, anything that is on a monthly um, subscription or a yearly subscription. So, Netflix, Amazon.com, for example, it's all SaaS. Um, so, I focus in tech startup SaaS SMB, which is small business, and that's that's the lane that I focus on. Um, I would say like the main difference, like not like just to give some education here. The main differences between SMB sales versus enterprise sales is enterprise can take minimum six months to close. If you're lucky, three months, but six months up to a year, maybe more. SMB, the the sales cycle is a lot shorter. It could be one week, two week, three week, up to it could take six months, but um, that's just because the timing is off, not necessarily because of the size. But it's a shorter sales cycle and it's higher volume. Um, so that's the lane that I stick to. Fantastic. And look. On Sanity Check, we want to help people grow from zero to $100 million. And getting that first $1 to $5 million worth of sales, that is super critical before you run out of money. It's super critical if you're going to raise. And so, yeah, look, I mean, that's awesome. Um, so one of the things that I've, I've heard you talk about many times uh, more is that um, ABC or always be closing is dead. And hardly surprising. There's just so much content. There's so much messages coming at us. There's all this sort of stuff. 
that people are confronted with, and it's a bit overwhelming, to be honest. So I know you you are the uh, absolute guru of discovery. So can, can you talk to us a bit about the always be closing mentality and how you sort of take people along that path to, you know, change their, change their tune and turn it into, you know, the perspective of the customer? Yeah, sure. So always be closing. I mean, people should be closing, but I think there's there's two parts to discover. There's always be uh, ABP, always be prospecting, and that'll save you from a, a slow sales month. And then there is always be discovering. And so if I'll give you an example, like if everyone's closing left and right, but they're not doing any sort of discovery, they don't know why the person's buying. They don't know what's driving them, what's their motivation, but they're so good at closing them that they close them. What happens for whatever reason down a month later, two months later, in 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 the SaaS world, at least in a, in a software space, there's a thing called churn where people cancel after X period of time. Once you sell a car, you sell a car. It's a different story. But in the software business model, there's churn. So if you're focused on only closing and you're not really focused on why the shopper is buying, why the customer is buying, then you may find them that they'll cancel. You have no idea why, and you've lost the customer. But if you're doing some level of discovery, and I said it to you earlier in our conversation, there's in in sales, there's discovery. In legal, in attorney world, there is discovery. In real estate, there's due diligence. Before you buy a property, you're doing due diligence. You're looking at the cash flow. You're looking at all, all this stuff. And then you're finding out the motivation behind the buyer and all that. Same for sales. You're, you're asking a ton of questions, not in a interrogative way. It's more of a conversational way, kind of like this podcast you're asking me, I'm responding. But discovery is all about finding the why, the motivation behind why someone's buying. It could be a problem that they're dealing with. It could be some sort of goal that they have in mind, like a nice to have. And there's a bunch of other questions that you ask. But when you get all this information, all this intel, then you're able to not just close them because you're really good at selling, but close them because you really have the solution for their problem or their need or whatever it is. And if you do it properly, then that customer doesn't end up closing and then cancel after three months or four months. You end up increasing your lifetime value of your customer because you've it's like literally like a puzzle piece. It's a perfect you know, match. And they end up staying with your company very long because you understood them. You did your job of understanding exactly what they need and, and you, you kind of delivered on that. Um, so ever if, listen, if sales was all about closing, sure, everyone be, but I think software coming into like this industry is very different. Like sales teams within software companies are also looked at not beyond the revenue, not just the revenue that they bring in, but also how long can they keep in that customer once they've acquired them? So that's kind of like the high level. Totally. So it's all about getting the right product in front of the right customer with the right message and discovering, is it still relevant? Is it that sort of relationship where you care enough about the customer that you want to find out, is it working for them? Yeah. And it, it also means if you're doing the right discovery, it also means if they're after you've done your due diligence with them, let's call it the first 10 minutes, 15 minutes, it shouldn't be a discovery shouldn't take five minutes or less, not even 10 minutes or less, unless there's rare cases where it does, but let's just say you've done your due diligence and you realize based on what they're telling you and based on what you have to, to give them, it it's a mismatch, then you should not get them to close. That, you should recommend them to someone else. You should recommend them to a competitor. You should maybe, they're not even looking. So many times someone has uh, a question where they can say, hey, do you have, um, do you have whatever feature? They use a certain keyword. Now your interpretation of that 
word, that phrase they said could be totally different than what they're asking. And if you're not, if you're not discovering what you've just discovered, like I'll give you an example. What's the reason that you're looking at our software today versus whatever? And they tell you, oh, because uh, we're looking to save money. If you just went with that, that's not enough. If they tell you, oh, well, we're looking to leave our competitor because every time we reach out to customer support there, they're constantly giving us the runaround and we're wasting a lot of time. A person that isn't educated on discovery will say, oh, okay, wow, they need really good customer support. Someone that's really good at discovery needs to discover what they've just discovered, which means, hold on, why the hell are they constantly reaching out to customer support all the time? What There's an underlying reason that's causing them to reach out to customer support. So the right candidate, the right salesperson would say, hold on, hold on, hold on. David, you're why are you reaching out to customer support that often? And then they'll tell you what the problem is that they're dealing with. And that's real discovery. I love it. I love it. So you're asking better questions, but... Yeah, it's 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 a uh, laser targeted missiles versus you just kind of drop the bomb on anywhere. You'll have some salespeople say um, it's active listening. I like to think of it as proactive listening. So you're kind of like reading in between the lines. You know, you like meet somebody and you're like, oh, how's your day? Ah, it was good. If someone's just active listening, they're like, oh, they said they have a good day. If someone is proactive listening, they're like, well, I could tell that it wasn't that good because of the tone of voice. And that's that's true listening. That's you really, it requires a lot of empathy. There's, there's two different wavelengths going or two different waves coming in. There's the words, the body language, the... It's it's the tempo. It's the tempo of how they're answering the question. Um, you know, yeah, it was a great day. Yeah, it was a great day. You know, it's like the tempo and the tonality already tell you that it wasn't a great day. You can't put it on a script. You've got to listen. <laughs> got to listen. There are some questions you can ask that is like scripted, but it's, it's call it your fundamentals, your building blocks of discovery. But um, like when you ask a question in discovery, now you have to listen to give you a response. And now you have a response and you can branch out wherever you want with it. As long as the question that you're about to ask after you just received an answer is relevant to what you're trying to say. There's a lot of people that are learning discovery. They're, they've experienced in sales, but they're learning discovery in a better way. And so they think that they need to ask a question on every answer they receive. So what's the reason you're looking at our product today? Oh, because blah, 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 blah. And then they ask a, a different question that branches out. That's not part of the script. But the question they have to ask themselves is, how is that relevant to the overall goal of doing discovery? Sometimes people ask questions just to ask. If that's the case, then you're wasting everyone's time. So it's also being very thoughtful and methodical about the type of questions you ask. Yeah, so there's a right order in which to ask questions based on the feedback. So there's a there's a very famous show that I, I always love love watching because it's uh, it's pretty weird and it's uh, this Married at First Sight show. And you've probably got it. Yeah, it's all over the world. Oh, I've seen that before. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. You're saying I want to get married too soon, you know, making sure you discover is there a fit? Is there what is what I have? What you want? Do I get to? Um, discover you in a way that makes sense at the right time and the right pace and the right speed and direction. Um, so I imagine that um, for all the people out there listening who are salespeople, uh, they're thinking, oh, that sounds really interesting, but uh, how, how do you get better at that? Because I don't think you just do this because I know you don't, you're just not a natural born salesman. You've actually learned to sell. And I know that your first job, uh, for example, was actually selling hair straighteners. So uh, 
<laughs> to go even back, like everyone has their like, oh, I sold blah, blah, blah when I was eight years old. I did that. Yeah, I had like I you know, took my toys or bought muffins and sold them when I was literally eight years old. But and then in high school, my, my dad had a connection where he was able to get hair irons and which is like the classiest Israeli thing to do back in the day. You buy hair irons and you sell them at a kiosk in the mall. And uh, he would get them for really cheap. And then I saw them and I was like, hey, can I, can I sell these? He goes, yeah, you'll take, you know, give yourself a profit of everyone. I said, okay. And I was in high school at the time. I was in ninth grade. And so I take a bunch, go to the bathroom. Prior to going to the bathroom, we had a computer class. And I would use some of the time to create like these scrappy little flyers. And I print them out. And then I knew that my audience were, were females. Like that was my audience. And so I'd print these out and I would sneak into the girls' bathroom in the high school. And I'd paste these, you know, little crappy looking ads on the girls bathroom in my high school and then i started selling to the teachers and to the students and that was like you know first real entrepreneur sell selling whatever and then my friends in 11th and 12th grade started um renting out clubs and they would sell tickets they would throw parties so i would take a bunch of tickets and i would sell them to a bunch of students from one school to another school and so i was doing sales a lot but then I, after college, at my first job, my first real, real job, I worked retail before, but my first real job was um, a cold calling position at a company, sort of like a Groupon or a Living Social. It was like an up and coming one. And my job was to call on restaurants. And it was a legitimate company. I found it on Craigslist, legitimate and all. And the first day on the job, I walk in and the, the boss, the owner, he says, hey, man, here's your computer. Here are your new employees, blah, 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 blah. Enjoy, make some calls, whatever. And side note, like in the interview, I killed it. Like I, I was really confident and I was like, I really sold it. I get to the my desk and the first 10 minutes, I'm checking my Hotmail email just to like kill time. And I realized that I'm very uncomfortable doing cold calls. I'm very uncomfortable doing calls or sales in front of any, anyone because I feel like they're judging me, you know? So I, I haven't made, I didn't make a call. I went to the bathroom, splashed my face, walked out, went to his office and I said, I'm really sorry, but I just don't think this is for me. And he just looked at me like, are you serious? I said, yeah, I'm so sorry. And I just walked out. And then I avoided sales for three years. I wouldn't take any job. I remember I, I ended up getting a marketing job. And at one point they had inbound calls, like partners that wanted to speak to me. I was... I created this uh, trauma for myself where I wouldn't want to even pick up an inbound call. I, I just was, I was very fearful. And so I avoided sales for three years and that's kind of like the failure before sales. And then um, fast forward, I ended up getting my real estate license. because so I wanted to do real estate. That's what everyone does here in Miami when you're young. And I joined a brokerage called Keller Williams. They have a phenomenal training program and they're bullish on cold calling and door knocking and all that stuff. So my dad told me, he's like, listen, if you want to get somewhere in life, sometimes you have to be a little naive, take things like as they come, start on a blank cap, just take, say yes to everything. So I took that mind, like that mentality and I went into Keller Williams and they're like, oh, you should sign up for this seminar. It's $800 and they teach you cold calling, blah, 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 blah. I was like, okay. And I did that. And then I, part, I found somebody that was also like a little fearful of cold calling. And I said, hey, do you want a cold call together? Like you'll do you, I'll do me. And so from we would cold call from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. because that's what they told us to. Um, and we had an auto dialer. So it would call three numbers at the same time. And the first one to pick up the phone pretty much wins. And then um, I had to pay the bills because the first year of real estate is really hard. So I found a job on Craigslist doing cold calling for uh, all state insurance in, in the U.S. So from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. cold calling from, an, from 1130 
to 2 p.m. we'd go door knocking, twice a week door knocking. Um, and then from 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock, I would do cold calling for auto insurance. So this was like 12 months of pure cold prospecting. Um, and I calculated how many cold calls I made during that 12 months because I just took the number of phone calls I made times the days that I worked, blah, blah, blah. It was like over 72,000 cold calls that I made. Um, that didn't get me good at sales. That just got me very good at being comfortable at cold calling and door knocking and getting, being able to kind of look at myself from a distance and say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I should have said this instead and getting a little bit more confident. And that's when I broke into more of a serious role in sales, joining tech startups and getting to sales roles. And, and ever since then, I've just been constantly, you know, it's rinse and repeat. So let me ask you this. So not everyone's an extrovert and I don't think having that persona uh, being an extrovert is, is that important really in sales if you understand how to get to know people. And I, I, look, I've had this conversation with you about discovery and I know that's not the only way you live life. Like you're discovering everything. And, and I, love that, I love that story, that chat we had about your wife. And Before I met my wife, I was dating a girl for... For two years, it was really serious. We broke up. I was really down about it. And it was like a habit, right? Like the first two or three relationships, you're just going pure emotion, whatever it is. And then after we broke up, I was like, I realized I, and the reason why we broke up was I was serious and I wanted to get married. She was too young and the timing wasn't right. So we went our separate ways. And I was like, well, if I'm serious about getting married, then I need to start prospecting. I need to start going on a bunch of dates and I need to, I'm not sure what I don't know. So I need to learn about myself. I need to learn about them. So I, uh, all the apps that you can think of, the, the dating apps, I turned them on, paid the premiums, and I went on a date every night. Um, and on the date, I would ask them, not like, what's your favorite movie and you know how was work? It was like, where do you see yourself in X years and how many kids do you want? And so the first few dates, like, you know, next, it wasn't a, they weren't qualified leads, right? Great girls weren't qualified leads. And then they, and, and that's the thing. I, you have to know, you have to have, this like target without a target, I could have done discovery, so to speak with them, not know if they're good leads or not. And just maybe I would have married them and maybe it would have been a divorce. Who knows? I don't know. So I knew exactly that I wanted to get married and I had an idea. I knew enough about myself. I had like this, like my pillars, I wouldn't fold on them. Right. So when I met my wife, we went on a date, first date, oh, the, probably the first date I texted her. I said, Hey, you want to go out for a drink? She was sure. And then I tell my roommate, I'm like, I have a feeling she'll, she'll cancel on me. So she canceled me. She said, I don't feel well. I'm so sorry. So I told my roommate, if she doesn't follow up and say, how about tomorrow night or whatever it is, if, if it's just like, I don't feel well, or she cancels for the second time, it's not a right, it's not the right fit. It's not the right lead. Um, and she followed up. She says, yes, how about tomorrow night? I was like, okay, amazing. Okay. So she answered, she went through checkpoint one and we met on the date and it was it was a three, four hour date. And we're just talking about how many kids you want. What happens if your kid comes home and says he wants this? Um, where do you want to live when you're older? What happens if your parents say this? Uh, all these questions, because uh, I'm, I'm Jewish and I'm Orthodox. So I it's very important to keep the Sabbath and to keep kosher and all that. Um, it was a bunch of discoveries. So the first month we were dating, it was more talking time than ever. And although there wasn't this like instant spark, which side note, I don't necessarily believe in it's movie made um, based on my, the discovery questions that I had and all, and it started first with religion. Cause that's 
primary for me. And then after religion, it went into family. After family, it went into personal interest, me and her. Um, and then when I proposed to her and we got married, it wasn't like crazy infatuated love above and beyond. It was love. It was love. But now even more, it's it starts to grow. So the lifetime value of our relationship starts to grow because we had pillars that were aligned. It wasn't like, a, you know, it, there was there wasn't a broken foundation. The foundation was there. And so now once you have a foundation, you're able to build on it. And so how do you get better at discovery? Let's just say in my scenario, if I meet somebody and I the classic small talk conversation is, oh, how are you doing today? Good, good, good. That's it. And it ends. And the new small talk with the right discovery was like, it would be like, how are you doing today? Good. Oh, not great. That could be your response. And then that could open up in a conversation. So it's it's really about being very like interested in the person. Like stop focusing on you. And that's why I don't like small talk because it doesn't do anything for me. But the moment you get very interested in the person and you're genuinely curious, you just, you just want to know. And that takes practice. It's a muscle. That's a muscle. So I guess the, the trick is just get into the habit of being curious and asking questions. That's the trick. Discover what you've just discovered. Yeah, look, it's, it's real. And it's you get to the root of the issue. I mean, it sounds very unromantic to some that are listening to your dating. You know what? Hey, it, it worked. And maybe that fantasy and, and the, the traditional formulas don't work. Let's just get back to uh, sales. The sales organizations that your your sweet spot is, is that getting that, you know, the company off the ground, getting the first one, getting the first five, me and ARR. Can you talk to us a bit about the, the resources you like to allocate? Because a lot of people will go in and say, I need to start hiring. I need to start, you know, getting more money on advertising. Can you talk to us about the journey of that one to five? Like, what are the things that you think about in building out the perfect um, well, getting getting to that first $5 million in revenue. Well, I, I think cold calling alone won't get you there. And I, I, even once you've gotten into the $5 million, $6 million ARR, cold calling, I think, just accounts for a very, very small percentage of overall revenue. Cold outbound doesn't have to be cold calling. It could be emailing. Just needs to be one of those things that is constantly running because it does bring in leads and those leads can bring in referrals and it, you just build this machine. There needs to be, in my opinion, if you're trying to go from zero to one, then there needs to be some level of hyper growth. You ever watch like Star Wars, they press a button, they grow like light speed. There needs to be that. And the way to do that is you need to spend money. Otherwise, if you don't have the money, it's going to be pure cold prospecting. Emailing, who do you know? following up, it's a grind and it takes longer. And some startups, they don't have the funds to stay that long. They don't have the ramp up time. And some have money that they allocate to to marketing. So the first thing would be, in my opinion, to get some sort of top funnel lead gen, either from like um, uh, directories like capterra.com, software advice. Um, you have a bunch, right? You have G2 Crowd. Um, Google Ads, Facebook, whatever whatever it is, it's wor- worth looking at your industry and what your competitors are doing and seeing and just kind of copying that in the beginning. Once you have some level of inbound leads, everyone thinks that like closing an inbound lead is the easiest thing in the world because they're raising their hand and that means they're super interested. Sure, it's easier than cold calling, but it's not so easy to close consistently a lot of the deals that you get, right? Because people are sometimes window shopping, just because you're assuming that they're automatically interested, you do less discovery because you're just you're assuming they're interested. And so you close them prematurely and it's not the right fit. So starting off with top funnel uh, rev with marketing. And then um, 
you I don't believe in SDRs so much. A lot of companies talk about having an SDR to do cold prospecting. I think when you're starting out, you hire a full sales cycle rep, call them an AE, an account executive, that does everything. They do cold, they deal with the inbound. And in the beginning, there aren't a lot. So all the leads go to them. Um, when they have downtime, when they're not doing the demos and doing discovery and following up, they're doing outbound also. They're prospecting. And so you have outbound prospecting, inbound demos, and you have one AE to do that. And then at one at one point, you need to start measuring what their capacity is, because if you don't know what their capacity is, you won't know when to hire the second person or the third person. So the way to measure capacity is to see how many leads are flowing in from outbound and inbound. Let's just go with inbound for a minute. And to track, um, I track internally, I've always tracked next attempt dates, meaning I, I get a lead today interested in my software. I reach out to them. They don't respond. I send them an email, blah, blah, blah. Uh, in my CRM, I need to shift that lead to an another time for me to follow up. I like to do back-to-back -back days. So I email them today. I reach out to them today. The next day, I'm following up again. And then so... But the next day, I have more leads. And then I do the same thing. And then the day after, I have more. And then I start to rack up. And then if I'm overwhelmed, what happens is I, I have what you call overdue. Overdue next attempt. And depending on how long those overdue next attempts sit in my pipeline, meaning if a lead that I was supposed to call in yesterday and the day before and the day before have sat in my pipeline for more than 24 hours or more than 48 hours, that means I'm, I'm at capacity, right? Everyone has their own capacity, but in my definition, if you can't re follow up with a lead within 48 hours, I mean, it should be right away, but without 48 hours, then you're, you're either doing too many things and you can't handle it, which is a good thing. If an AE has maximum capacity, that's a really good problem to have. Um, so inbound for marketing, get in a full sales cycle AE to handle those inbound leads, but to also do the outbound, whether it's cold calling, emailing, whatever it is that the company has in place. That's like step one. Right. So, so just quickly, SDR for everyone listening, uh, can you tell us about yeah, that acronym. You have some companies called BDR, SDR. SDR stands for Sales Development Rep. They're responsible to do cold prospecting. Or if, if some companies don't have cold prospecting so much, an inbound lead hits the CRM. That SDR is the first point of contact. They're reaching out and they are doing discovery. And then if they're the right fit, they siphon it off to account executives. If it's not the right fit, they it's no longer an SQL or an MQL. Yeah, so we've got we've got our lead in now. Now let's close. So I know that benchmarking uh, and closing ratios is uh, is something which you know is different for every company. But I know you think as a sales weapon, you are under fifty percent is not acceptable. So how do you get to that number? What what magic in closing uh, north of fifty uh, percent? Yeah. So when I say fifty percent, it depends on what we're talking about because you have a pipeline of leads from the the moment that lead hits the, the CRM before they're even an opportunity. And then you have leads that once they're an opportunity. So I measure um, demo conversion rate and then overall lead conversion rate. Out of all the leads, what percentage of, of them converted? And out of all the demos that I gave, what percentage of them did I, did I close? I, I think SMB SaaS startups should close minimum 50% of their... Well, I don't know if they should because a lot of them actually don't. 50%, I've spoken to a few, and 50% is crazy numbers. Um, but long story short, they should close 50% demo conversion rate. 
the way to do that is, is a few things. Some things that are in your control and some things that are out of your control. What's out of your control is the actual product itself. For example, right now I'm the VP of sales at a company called Okendo. It's a, it's a software for direct-to-consumer brands. That product is, I don't want to say flawless because no such thing as a flawless product, but it's pretty much close to flawless. How do I know? Because the lifetime value of the customer is amazing. The reviews are amazing. And then I'm getting, we're getting a ton of referrals. So you need to, it's important if someone is looking to join a team or looking to partner with somebody to develop something that they should focus on the product. So let's assume that's out of your control. What's in your control is product knowledge. That's extremely important. It, you know, you can... When you get on the phone with an intern about your software, the convert you should never, but let's just say that happens, that demo is a lot easier because you don't have to ask, the intern doesn't know what to ask. But if you get on a demo with the CMO, the VP, the CEO, the questions that they ask are way more intricate. They're actually grilling you. And those are the type of knowledge that you should have about your product is what sort of questions would a CEO or CMO or CIO ask you on a call that's the level of product knowledge you should have. So now you have product knowledge. Once you've, you know, you firm that up, then it's you improve your sales. How do you pitch your product knowledge? How do you say? How do you present a feature? When do you present a feature? Um, and that part is sales. So there's product knowledge and then there's sales knowledge. And if you if you work on those two, you can get to a fifty percent demo conversion rate at minimum. Um, and it's all about measuring them also. Sometimes you could do a demo today, but they won't convert three months later. But if you if you don't do the follow-up, they'll never convert. So there's activity that you can do that doesn't require sales skills like following up. Um, and then within the follow-up, it requires sales skills. What are you going to say when you're following? Are you just going to say, hey, following up? That's not going to close a deal. I think getting the stories right, developing the right content, linking those to stories is really powerful. So uh, can you talk to us a little bit about how you do that as well because i know you're very uh, much involved in that world and, and this is obviously a key for getting the message right right product right customer right story so there's two types of storytelling there is I'm, I'm a big believer that salespeople shouldn't just study sales they should study copywriting they should study storytelling i'll give you a perfect example of this when i was selling software for attorneys at practice panther we had attorneys that would bring up the objection of Oh well, I'm using this competitor, and I don't want to switch out. Um, you know, blah 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 blah, whatever. And so, what I heard them say was, "We are used to using something, and because we're used to it, we're not in the mood to deal with the learning curve." And so, I would repeat it back to them: "Hey, Joe Schmo, how long have you used the competitor?" They would say four years, and I was like, "Wow, that's a, that's a very long time." It sounds like you still want to deal with the migration. Yeah, more that that's right. So then I go into my story, and it's a true story. My first car was a Volkswagen Jetta. And it was because it was my first car in 2000 something. I don't remember what it was. There wasn't a rear view camera. So when you reverse, you actually have to use your eyes. So I would turn, I'd look, and I'd get very you know, in tune with it. And then I had to take it for service. So I didn't have it for like a day. So I borrowed my, my sister's car, which did have a rear view. And naturally, when I was reversing, I would look and I realized, oh, there's a rear view. When I got my car back... When I reversed, what do you think I did? I was reversing this way and there was no camera and I almost hit a car. Why? Because I, as human nature, I got muscle memory. I got used to, even within just one day, I got used to a camera. And so my senses were in heightened. And so when I got back to my car, I was defaulting to what I was used to. That was just 
a scenario that happened in like a week's time. Well, imagine now you're using a software for four years. Like, we, I don't expect them to want to move. It's natural. And I would tell them this. And I'm like, I totally agree with you. And the only reason I would tell you to stay with a competitor, if the only reason why is I would know for a fact that our software isn't easy to use. Because if it were easy to use, if it weren't easy to use and you'd switch over and I lie to you because we're a subscription-based software, you can cancel and leave a bad review. And so I would create, I would tell this story and people remember stories. There's a quote, people don't remember what you tell them, but how you make them feel. And the only way you can make them feel a certain way is by creating some sort of story. Um, so maybe just to finish off on sales, one of the key things is obviously making sure that we don't lose customers in that churn. Uh, is there any, are there any one or two minor things that you think, well, uh, apart from discovery, uh, that you might say, look, hey guys, we need to focus on X and Y to minimize our churn because that's obviously a huge deal killer in terms of growth. It literally all leads back down to discovery. It's all about discovery, asking the right questions on the dates. Yeah, because if you're if you're bringing in a customer that isn't the right fit, um, even though they're willing to pay, then no matter what, there's nothing you can do to prevent them from churning unless you create some sort of artificial incentive, giving it to them for free, right? Like that's what happens. I don't want to get into like the economy, but like when in 2008, a lot of banks were built out, it was artificial, right? Banks were giving also uh, mortgages left and right and people couldn't afford it. And they were able to buy amazing houses and all that great stuff. But once it caught up with them, they all churned out. And there was nothing you can do unless you build them out. And that doesn't it, that isn't a great strategy. So um, yeah, churn always comes down to... And, and I think it's very important if you're seeing a lot of churn, a high, a high percentage of churn, you should first look into sales and see why. And you should be recording the, some of the demos and listening to how are they signing them up? Why are they signing them up? And then um, if it's happening and you and they're not willing to change, the sales team is not willing to change, what you could do is you can incorporate the comp plan that you have for sales with churn. Meaning if you convert somebody today and they churn in the first 60 days, then you lose out on that commission. Or we, we, we It's called a clawback in sales where they don't get paid, you pull it back. Some companies don't pay them the commission after that 90-day period. So after that clawback could have happened, because it feels worse to lose money than to just not get paid. But it all comes down to discovery. If, if you're asking the right questions, then then you shouldn't have an issue with churn, unless you have a really shitty product. You are the king of discovery, so I should have expected as much. Last question. If you lost it all today, what would you do going forward only with the skills and knowledge you've learned. Fresh start. If I lost it all today, I mean, I would stick with sales. Um, and I know what I know now. Yeah, I'd, I'd pro- I mean, starting a company, everyone thinks it's like the easiest way to like get money, but it's probably not the easiest way to get money. Um, there is a year of like not getting any sort of income. I'd probably go for the lowest hanging fruit. So based on my discovery, I know that I'm really good at... SMB, SaaS startups, depending on a certain stage, either hyper growth, seed round, whatever, whatever. I'd probably go after a qualified lead that I know I can close. That if I close them, they'll be very happy and they won't. So I'd probably either partner up with somebody that has a really good product or I join a SaaS startup and build it out from scratch. Um, I don't even think I've made it yet, right? Like I'm always, I haven't made it yet. I'm, I'm still young and I'm, I'm still learning. I haven't made it yet. You did too many things to discover. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Mo. You've been an absolute rock star. Um, I know that we've got so much value out of this conversation and I'm so grateful also that you're happy to share with us uh, questions that you ask yourself uh, about discovery and thank you so much for doing that. I'll just add one little cherry on top. That uh, giveaway, I'll have a list of questions, but what I'll do in that sort of document is I'll list at the top, if you only had five minutes to do discovery, which questions out of all these questions should you ask? So I'll include those ones too. Boom, brother. That's the one. Uh, please tune into Moore's uh, podcast as well. It's called SAS Talks. It's amazing. And guys, thank you for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. I did. But hey, it's not about me. If you found it helpful, we're only warming up. So if you've got a friend or a colleague who you think needs a sanity check, do them a solid and share this with them. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could give it a review. This will help us reach more people and make sure we get it right for you. I'm David Kenny, and I'll be back in your ears next week for another Sanity Check and done.